Well, as has been said, it is great to have you here this morning. When you walked in, you should have gotten some money. If you didn't get some money, you can raise your hand. I can throw it at you. You know, it's worth something. Or some of you that were a little disappointed in the bills you got. I do have some bigger ones. I do trade for green. You have green, I'll give you orange. But this morning, it's great to have you here. We are, as Brent said, in the last of our Games People Play series, and we are doing Monopoly this week. And um, I equate it kind of to the pandemonium and chaos that's going to occur in about an hour and a half when we are sitting on the side of a street with young ones. And the parade goes past. And they run and scamper and scurry and gather and collect all of their candy. Because then their dad is so thrilled that he gets to choose the best candy when they get home. It's awesome. I had some age descriptors in here for our kids that actually like candy, and my husband's reading through it, and he's like, you can add the 46-year-old dad in there. I'm like, that's a given. That's a given. Anyways, for Monopoly, I wanted to kick us off by reading the description that comes from Amazon on what the game of Monopoly is. The thrill of bankrupting an opponent is addictive, but it pays a pl- but it pays to play nice because your fortunes can change with the roll of a dice. Play nasty and you might find someone gangs up on you. Buy, buy, buy at every location, location, location. Collect as many properties as you can and make deals to get color sets. Build your houses and hotels and see if you can bankrupt everyone else to win. Keep an eye on your money, though, because you never know when the roll of the dice will land you with a massive rent to pay or in jail. You've got to buy, sell, and negotiate to win. Cutthroat people. Makes my heart race. This is not the way I do things. We don't play Monopoly a lot. And so when I was prepping for this and we had the game sitting out, my kids were like, Mom, can we play Monopoly? And I was like, um, yes. And so needless to say, my 8-year-old, my 10-year-old were thrilled when they could take money from Mom and they could buy. And we'll get into some of that more later. But Monopoly, as we know it, was created in the 1930s. Um, It was Credit given to Charles Darrow, but the truth is there was a version from 1903 up to the 1930s that was created by a gal named Elizabeth J. Maggie Phillips. She created the game called the Landlord's Game as an educational tool to work against the single theory that was being, single tax theory that was being put out by Henry George to let people know that this monopoly thing was not as great as they thought it was. So eventually, between 1903 and the 1930s, it made a few changes here and there down the line, as games do, and we ended up with the version that we have today. And it is so well-loved, there are over 103 different countries that have monopolies licensed in them, and it's in more than 37 languages. This game is popular. The one that I liked the best, though, was in 1941. There was obviously a war going on. The British Secret Intelligence Service had a special edition of a Monopoly game created where they hid inside of it silk maps because they could get folded really tiny and not make noise and get destroyed by the weather. They also included things such as a really small compass that actually worked, a little file that was in two pieces that could be put together, and real money that they then snuck into the concentration camps to hand out to prisoners of war to try to free them from the Nazis. And these maps detailed places they could go for safe houses if they could get out. I thought that was fascinating. I love it. Absolute best use of a game ever. But Monopoly as we know it today is a great game. It teaches us some lifelong skills such as strategy and patience. And it lasts two hours. 
another reason why when my girl said, can we play the game? I was like, uh, sure. Two hours. Did you also know that there are world championships to play this game? People from all around the world converge to sit down and play this two-hour game to see who is the best at Monopoly. I kid you not. They win prizes. They get the championship title. And if you would like to watch it, it is in September this year. It is holding place in China, but you can watch it on ESPN if you would like to set your DVR. There you go. Bet you didn't know that. Even better, if you cannot wait till September, you can YouTube the championships of the past. Wonderful use of two hours of your time. But back to Monopoly as a life skill. It really is a great game for teaching life skills. It's educational. It helps kids learn addition and subtraction. It helps them learn about currency. It helps them learn how to do money exchange. It helps them learn patience. It really helps mom learn patience. It helps mom learn strategy to help kids learn strategies in order to play this game. Something like, hey, can I trade with you? Yeah, that's great. How much? The older one says, 200. It's worth 160. That's great. Um, how about 250? Okay, I have 500. How about that? Oh, child, you have $400. This is not going to work. <laughs> it's okay. We're learning. It doesn't take long, though. The kids learn that hook, that surge of adrenaline that comes from being able to buy properties, being able to get money from other people, to be able to put houses on their colors, because that is ultimately the goal of the game, right? To get as much property as you can so that you can take other people's money so that they lose their money so that you win, right? Monopoly. It's a great game. So at this point, I have to stop and say, as great as all these lessons are for teaching my kids, this is not what I want them to model their life after. This is not real life. Buying and gaining and gathering, not what we need to do. But it is a good game to teach the kids skills. Remember, the product description said the goal of the game was to buy, buy, buy at every location, location, location. Build your houses, build your hotels, and see if you can bankrupt everyone else to win. The fun of the game comes down to that. Focusing on what you need to win at everyone else's expense. Can you imagine if somebody actually did that in real life? What it would look like? Buying and collecting and gaining and gaining and gaining just to win at all costs. It might actually look a little something like this. So how are things? What are you doing here? Happy yet? You fill that hole deep down inside you? Or do you still need more? Look, if you've got a problem with what I'm doing, why haven't you used your quote-unquote powers to stop me? I told you. That's not how it works. Right, I forgot. You're a fraud. I need you to get out now. 
Why? Do I make you uncomfortable? Remind you of the promises you made? The man you used to be? You know what? You can just shut your mustache. My conscience is clear. I have done nothing illegal, I have my rights, and I intend to keep on biggering and biggering and turning more trepulatories into thieves. And nothing is going to stop me! So maybe not exactly real life, it is a cartoon, but a lot of real premises, right? Biggering and biggering and biggering, it's my right. The Lorax is trying to convince him that what he's doing is maybe not the best thing, but it's his right to do it. He wants to do it. He's controlling, he's arrogant. It changed the man that he used to be. Did you also notice the hallway and the sign when he was walking in, what it said? Too big to fail. Right? Sometimes it's real easy to think that. It's real easy to have false security in things that are actually quite temporary. And it boils down to one word. Greed. The once-lure was greedy. Greed comes from an old English word, gradig, which means voracious, which means always hungry for more. Oxford Dictionary also defines greed this way. Greed is intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. Just let that kind of sit for a minute. An intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, and food. We have the food covered this afternoon. Like I said, three kids running in the street. We're going to have bags full of candy. But greed is also an intense and selfish desire that comes from looking at what the American culture has set up for us. As an American culture, we focus on materialism. We encourage pursuing whatever makes us happy. Just do it. So what makes us happy? Wealth, right? Wealth. Before we go any further, let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Luke 12, 15 says, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. These are really strong words that come from Jesus in response to a man who had come to him and said, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my half of my father's estate. In other words, what he's saying is, Jesus, I want half of my dad's wealth. It's owed to me. I deserve it. And this was Jesus' answer. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed, because life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus is saying that little selfish desire that keeps coming back to you, you want more and more and more and more, be careful about giving in to it. But we'll get into that in a minute. Most of us in this room would not consider ourselves wealthy. I'm willing to bet. I bet if I were to say to you, are you wealthy? 
your response back to me would be something like, are you kidding me? This is the house I live in. This is how much money I make. This is the car that I drive. This is where I go to vacation at. All of it with the implication that there are levels above you by comparison that are better. I drive this car. Did you know there's that I'd like to have? I live in this house. It's great. It serves us. But did you know there's always a level above us to compare ourselves to? We need to stop and look at the definition of wealth, though. Look at it again. Wealth is an abundance or more than we need of valuable possessions or money. In abundance. Let's take a minute and put this in perspective. Since most of us would say we're not wealthy, a gentleman named Roberton Williams, who's a senior fellow at a tax policy center, for those of you that are money people, you're all over this, I know it. To me, it's, I'm, I, I'm yeah, it's googly gook. Anyway, it was an article from CNN Money, and they were talking about what is rich. They're trying to define it. So you have a senior fellow in a tax policy center. He works with a lot of rich people. He understands this. He says this is his answer for who's rich. It's a good question. Rich depends on where you live and with whom you are comparing yourself. I love that definition. Rich depends on where you live and with whom you are comparing yourself. In the United States, the median income is $53,000. Wisconsin is $52,413. So in order to make the next couple comparisons, I use the average Wisconsin income. Did you realize that if you make $52,413 or more, you are in the top 0.27% of income workers, income earners worldwide? Last perspective. In the United States, if you earn $52,413, it'll take you one year to make that. In Zimbabwe, it would take 51 years for the same amount. If you're thirsty while you're working and you want to purchase a soda or a cola or a pop or whatever you want to call it in the United States, it would take you one minute of work on this income. Somebody in Indonesia would take them two hours for that refreshing can of Coke. It puts it in perspective. Nearly half of the world's population, which is more than 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. More than 1.3 billion live in extreme poverty, less than $1.25 a day. In the United States, we spend approximately 6% of our income on food. Those that are in the 250 and less a day spend 40 to 50% of their income just on food. Rich or your wealth depends on where you live and with whom you are comparing yourself. Having more than we need. Let me tell you, this isn't a guilt trip. But if I look at those statistics, I instantly think 
I have a refrigerator that is completely full of food. Realistically, some of it's going to get thrown in the trash. I have closets that I look through and say, I can't find anything to wear, and yet half of it I don't ever wear. I have a pantry that's stocked with food. I have storage bins in my basement for my clothes I'm not wearing right now. I have an abundance. I am wealthy by comparison. All of us are. But this is simply knowledge. I acknowledge it. That's not the important thing. The important thing is, now what do we do with this knowledge? Because until we do something, it's simply knowledge. It simply sits in our heads. So let's take a moment to look at what we can do. There's a situation in the Bible where the Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy to teach new believers about wealth. So they're obviously living in a community where people have money. And this is Paul's teaching, which speaks to us today as well. It's located in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 17. He says to him, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Money's temporary. That's what he's saying. Don't put your trust in money. Playing Monopoly tells us that money's temporary. We can have it, and then it's gone with the roll of the dice. Living real life definitely teaches us that money is temporary. We can have it, and then it can be gone. We may think that we're in control of our money, but ultimately, we're not. With the next roll of the dice or the next card drawn, we can lose a chunk of it. We could lose it all. It can be things such as the next stock market crash, which may destroy retirement and dreams. It can be the housing crash. It can be a health crisis. It could be something with our job, loss of job. It could be the next vehicle problem, our refrigerator breaking down. It can be anything that is called life. It happens, and it doesn't stop, and we don't get to control when the negative is going to happen. We don't, because otherwise, it wouldn't happen. Paul is trying to tell Timothy, make sure you tell them, trusting in what is temporary on this earth, your money, your possessions, is not where your trust needs to be. Our takeaway number one for today is trust that God's provisions are enough. And this is a hard one to sit on sometimes. Because God's provisions are not always the things that we can touch. When we put our trust and our sense of security in money or possessions, anything that we're capable of achieving ourselves, of making or building or gaining ourselves, we put our focus on material things. We put our focus on our selfish desires of what we want to meet status quo and compare ourselves against others. Now, sometimes we have legitimate needs. Our fridge does break down. Our car does break down. We have to go and replace it. But what happens when you walk into that store? You may be looking at the refrigerator that meets your needs just great, and then right next to it is the one just great but... It has 
the water system, the kid lock. Some of you don't know about that. You need a kid lock on your refrigerator sometimes. It has the drawers, the bells, the whistles. You keep going up and up and up and up and up. So maybe what you need is right here, but you look and you look and you look and you look. And where does it stop? It's hard. It's natural. It's what we all like to do. That's why stores make money. That's why stores put an okay thing at the beginning of the store when you walk in so that when you look at it, you go, oh, that one's okay. And then you see the next level up when you get in the store and go, oh, that one is so much better. I really need this one. What I recently heard from another pastor struck home with this, though. He said, the question isn't just, is this right for me? In other words, when I go in and I look at the refrigerators and I see this one will work for me, and there's this, and there's this, and then there's this. It's not just, is this right for me? Is this best for me? Because it could be right. Any one of those refrigerators are right. They're going to meet my needs. Is it best for me? Do I stop and take into consideration everything else that comes with that decision that I'm making that is going to impact me? God says that what he provides is enough and that we don't have to keep accumulating, we don't have to try to store up, we don't have to try to do more and more and more for our pleasure or safety. There's a popular verse in the Bible that most of you probably know that says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God, and you can't serve money at the same time. You have to put your focus on one or the other, and dash gone it, that's hard to make the right choice. Because there is a right choice. We don't like to admit it. But the right choice is God, which means that all of a sudden our money is not quite so important anymore. That's hard. I get it. I struggle too. However, when we focus on our money or what we can do, we're focusing on what we can do. When we focus on God, we're focusing on what God can do. Now, I have a question for you, and it's going to be a tough one. Would you rather put your trust in somebody who made the heavens and the earth and all the beauty that you see, or would you rather put your trust in someone like me that drives a minivan and pays a mortgage and has kids that she yells at sometimes? No, not really. Not really. kind of a no-brainer, right? The God who creates everything, or me. I'm driving a minivan. I almost tailgated somebody the other day because they started slowing down. Like, come on, come on. Trust. Where does it need to go? It needs to go towards God. Paul continues his teaching with Timothy with this. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need and always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I love this verse. It seems kind of odd to maybe love this verse. But you guys are all sitting kind of heavy right now. You're kind of quiet and solemn. You're scaring me a little. You are. 
because I know this is a heavy topic when we start talking about what we have compared to other people and we start looking at other countries that don't have anything and it's just like, oh, guilt and shame and man, am I. But you know what this verse says? We also have freedom in having things. Because you didn't get to choose to be born here. That wasn't your choice. That was God's choice. Amen for that. The first line I love. Tell them to use their money to do good. Doesn't say store up your money. Doesn't say stockpile it, make a nest egg, sit on it. Doesn't say give it away, go live in squalor. You can't have anything nice. It says use your money. Use your money to do good. Your money is for a reason, and it's not to make you happy completely. Not saying you can't be happy. Saying not completely. Paul says, use the money. God never tells us in the Bible that money itself is evil. It's when we love money. It's when we focus on our money. It's when we become a slave to our money. It's when we put our money before God that having money and possessions become a problem. Use your money to do good works and to be generous to those in need. Takeaway number two. You have so that you can give. Think about that perspective. You have so that you can give. We're instructed to do good works and instructed to give generously and to share whenever possible. In other words, make sure that we use what we have to impact others positively. There are plenty of people in need in this world. We don't have to look far. We start in Wanakee and we go out around the world. There's need everywhere. Sometimes we're the ones in need, and that's okay. Take every opportunity that you have to begin diminishing need somewhere. Doesn't just require money. Can also be our time. Can also be our abilities. Can also be our words, our actions. Money is not the only resource that we are wealthy in. Wealth has meaning when we share it. Otherwise, it is self-serving. Sharing our wealth locally might look something like this. Taking a meal to a family that's going through a tough time. Taking clothes that no longer fit and passing them on to somebody else that could use them. Or if you don't know of somebody, donating it to the Wanakee Neighborhood Connection where they can connect with people that need them. Inviting a friend over for coffee just to hang out. Handing a stressed out mom in the grocery store a $5 Starbucks card. Dropping off groceries to a family that's on a tight budget. I'm not saying go break the bank. I'm saying drop off a bag or two of essentials. Might cost you $20, might cost you $30. Or maybe you just buy the one box of cookies and give it to somebody and say, hey, just enjoy this. This one's really hard. You have to put your phone down and take out that old thing called a pen and write a card to somebody 
And it gets even harder because then you have to put it in the envelope, lick a stamp, and put it on there, and then walk it to your mailbox. I know that's like 20 more steps than shooting them an email, but how many of you love to get good mail in your mailbox? Not something asking for something or you have to pay money, just, hey, you know, hanging out with you is great. Hey, you did an awesome job in that performance. Hey, I miss seeing your face. 99-cent card, five minutes of your time, guaranteed a week of happiness for the recipient. It's worth it. All of these are local things, but there's also things beyond our local community that we can do. The Wesleyan Church that we're part of, the Wesleyan denomination, has international outreaches through different organizations, World Hope, Global Partners. They do things like go into countries like Africa, and they drill wells so that these communities can have fresh water, so that the children don't have disease, and they can have some sanitation, so that they can cook their food properly. They teach the locals how to run the wells and how to maintain the latrines, because you know what? Some of these communities don't have latrines. Some of them don't have electricity. Some of them don't have bathrooms, latrines. So they go in and they teach them how to do these things. They teach them how to provide crisis assistance. They go in when there's natural disasters and help with that. They provide supplies. They help with human trafficking. Did you know human trafficking is a huge issue? Very huge issue right now. There's organizations that are working to fight it. You may not be able to do something right here yourself. You can help an organization. There's lots of ways. Providing tents for shelter when the the, um, natural disasters happened in Nepal, they were there within a couple of days with supplies that they needed to help them. So while they're doing this, they're not only bringing supplies that are needed, they're bringing the word of God. They're sharing the gospel. They're providing the Jesus film that spreads the gospel. There's doing missions trips to help people. There's missions trips statewide as well. There's lots of things that you can do to give of your wealth, however you choose, be it yourself or your money or your possessions. There's other great organizations that you can look at and partner with as well. Find something that hits a tender spot for you. Something that's hit me lately has been empowering marginalized women around the world. I really can't go and do much, but you know what? My sister brought this back from Africa. Whoever she bought it from, she just empowered to feed her family. When I went to a conference, I was able to uh, buy a bracelet. This bracelet was made by a woman who needs to feed her family and be a part of her community in a positive way. Her name is on the back. Usually, anything that you can find that is fair trade goes to empower women in impoverished situations. So instead of going to whichever store you like to go to and spending 20 bucks on your jewelry, see if you can find something online through fair trade. It makes an impact with what you're doing. You can spend your money... Do good with it. Think about where you're spending it. Buy locally. Help those around the community. There's other organizations such as Noonday and Help One Now and the Mercy Shop. They all make things that are created just by women in impoverished situations. Locally, we can do things like helping out at the Wanakee Neighborhood Connection. 
they need donations, and they give them out for free. But did you know they also need volunteers? They need manpower? Did you also know they need people to promote the Wanakee Neighborhood Connection Center? There's a lot of ways you can help. You have gifts and talents that can be used. There's the food bank in town. There's the River Food Pantry that helps do community Dane County. There's Boys and Girls Club you can get involved with. There's Habitat for Humanity. These are just a few that are around. See where you can become involved. Because we all have ways that we can give and share our wealth. Other than just sitting on it for ourselves. This is the way that God's economy is meant to work. We're given so that we can give and be a blessing on other people's lives. This is why we do 167 Projects. Because what we can do as a church and give to the community to help is a blessing to whoever receives it. It makes a positive impact without expecting anything back. So as we're teaching our kids about the game of Monopoly and getting money and building and all of this stuff, it's also important to teach them, you make as much money as you want, child. But you do the right thing by doing good with the money you make. Help somebody out every time you can. The challenge for this week is this. Our first takeaway was trust that God's provisions are enough. Because we all get a different amount of provisions. We all always want more. None of us are in the top tier of Americanized money. Trust that what God provides is enough. You have so that you can give. So with that... Pick one place to start giving from your extra. It can be the couple extra shirts in your closet. It can be the little $5 gift card you pick up when you get your Starbucks to give to somebody else. It can be you have money sitting that you can give. Lots of opportunities. I'm not saying be a schmuck and just hand it out willy-nilly. I'm saying... Ask God, where do you want to use my money? He'll let you know. If you feel like you're not hearing an answer, and this is not meant to be flippant, this is serious, you can talk to Pastor Brennan or myself. We'll connect you somewhere so that you can use your resources in a way to positively impact others, locally or around the world. It all makes a difference. It all makes a difference. Let God turn your extra into a blessing for somebody else. Will you pray with me, please? Father, oh, money. When it comes down to our money and our possessions and wealth and greed, oh, those are words we don't like to talk about. We love it when it's ours. We love it when we feel secure in it. But the reminders, God, that you are more important than that are difficult sometimes. So I pray right now, Father, that you remove the guilt and the stigma that comes from having 
when there are so many that don't. And I pray right now that you would help us to hear your voice speaking to us for what you're asking from us. I pray that you help us to recognize that you bless us so that we can continue to give out and bless others. May it be a good thing that we get to use our money in healthy, positive ways. May it be a good thing that we learn about how your economy works and branch out of our little bubble that we know is safe and secure. Father, help us to trust in you. Help us to know that what you provide is enough, and when it feels like it's not enough, it's still true. Pray that when it feels like it's not enough, you help us to reach out and ask for what we need so that when we, in turn, come around to being blessed again, we can give. Father, you're a good God. You love us. You want to take care of us. But we have to look to you first. So God, thank you for the ways that you do provide. Thank you for the blessings we have. Thank you for the immense opportunity to live where we live and have the options and opportunities that we do. I pray you help us to be content and thankful for what you have already provided. God, as we go out and we enjoy Wanna Fast in the rest of this week, I pray that you would just put in front of us an opportunity to give from our extra, be it our time, our possessions, our money. Help us to lean into that opportunity and to be able to rejoice in the blessing that comes from sharing it. Thank you for our time together, Father. Thank you that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you please?